2: Well, here we go. Preakness 146 this Saturday, Baltimore, Maryland, Pimlico race course. And usually we talk about the derby winner here. We get all pumped, or Triple Crown, Black Eyed Susans, the infield party. But in reality, this is a different sort of week. Another black eye uh, for racing and for horse racing, handicapping the sport in general. We're going to discuss the Preakness and all the late pick five races coming up and the Black Eyed Susan on Friday with some great guests, Matt Bernier, NBC Sports Edge, the Matt Bernier Show, Jessica Paquette, who has multiple titles in racing, including uh, Thoroughbred Racing Foundation and now Colonial Downs Handicapper, which we'll talk about with Jess coming up, and our buddy Dick Girardi, courtesy of BetOnline.ag, one of the great thoroughbred journalists of my lifetime, quite frankly. We'll talk about the races. We'll talk about the week that was for the sport. And really, it was a very bad week. The Derby winner, Medina Spirit, testing positive for What is a legal drug, this corticosteroid that helps with inflammation? You can use it. You're allowed to use it. It's a legal drug, but you can't have it in your system 14 days prior to a race. And Dick Girardi will talk about this later on in the podcast. And he at least had some of it in his system on the first test that came back after he won the Kentucky Derby. In Kentucky, that is an automatic DQ. You're no longer the Derby winner. And there's a second split sample. you probably heard of this with uh, uh, Lance Armstrong and you heard about with other steroid testing. A second sample goes on like a second opinion. Uh, we won't know for sure until that one comes back. The expectation is that will come back positive based on the trainer admitting they used stuff that had the steroid in it. And it'll be DQ'd and uh, Mandelown, Matt Bernier's pick, will be named the derby winner. And so Bob Baffert, is trainer, who has been in the same situation multiple times just the last year, he goes and holds a press conference after all this stuff on Sunday, saying this can't be right. I'm being framed. The horse never had that medication. Then on Monday does a full media tour, claiming cancel culture is to blame. Goes on Dan Patrick, Fox News. I don't know what happened. Then Tuesday quietly issues this press release where he admits, like I just said, the horse is being treated with this topical cream, Orthomax, and include the illegal steroid. But it was kind of the vet's fault. No, they didn't know. And it's it's somebody else's fault. Always is with Bob Baffert. And, look, I, I said it last time. This is a handicapping podcast. The focus here is on the better and on handicapping. And so this story is tied to that. Because whether you bet 5 or 10 or $100 into a race, you want to feel like it's on the up and up. So when in the biggest race of the year, where it can either bring in new fans or turn people away for life, right, when shit like this happens, you hurt the chances to gain new fans immensely. Like if you met Mandelown, In this race, you probably feel cheated to some extent. I totally get it. I didn't like the horse. But if you're a first-time better and you bet this horse it was 26-1 to and now you find out you should have won, why are you betting horses again? That's the message that they sent. And, look, it took me a a, a long time to to get to these. Like, the the game is 100% not on the up-and-up. Like, as a long-time degenerate handicapper, I get that. The game is not clean, okay? First time I went to the racetrack. Saratoga, people I was sitting with bitching about a New York trainer who was apparently juicing his horses. There are guys looking for an edge. I think that's assumed in horse racing and maybe every sport, quite frankly. But in in a sport, the guys who get caught, like Baffert has multiple times, pushing for an edge, when those guys face no real consequence, right, they're allowed to keep training, keep entering horses, and they keep getting positives. You know, four in a similar fashion over a year. And there's no penalty You are spitting in the face of your consumer. You are spitting in the face of the horse player. And look, it took me a long time, as I said, to get to this conclusion. But over the last year, it's obvious to me, based on the way that some horses are running versus their past performances in the paper or how they reverse form and going from one trainer to another, the game is not being played on a level playing field. I'm not accusing this trainer or that trainer, but the reality is when you're paying attention closely enough and horses reverse form like they do, And they go from here to there. Like, it's not level right now. It's just not for one of like 10,000 reasons. Like, my handle is down huge, huge from what it's been in years past. And that money goes to DFS, it goes to legal sports betting. Thank you, Governor Sunu. Thank you, New Hampshire. And I'm not going to be shocked in a couple years. I'm down to playing just a couple of racing weekends a year. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who have gone through this. Like, they have had this transition from spending their money on horse racing to spending in other gambling outlets. And based on social media this week, I know people are doing that now. But I'm into it and got into it knowing, and I bet and handicap accordingly. But that's me, and I'm a degenerate. I admit that. How about that smaller player who's now firing away on DK and Fanduel every weekend and not betting races, and that's happening more and more and more. But as it stands right now, Thursday afternoon – the Maryland Jockey Club says due process must take its course. It's a Medina Spirit and another Bob Baffert trainee concert tour. They will run on Saturday in the Preakness. So that's the race we have in front of us. We know we're getting into. We'll handicap this second jewel of the Triple Crown and some of the other stakes going on. And I'm not marketing. I don't market for Pimlico or Racing. So I can say it is what it is. Like It's a subpar Preakness, and it's a subpar Preakness card. Like There's a good chance I will bet more on Belmont Saturday than I will on the Preakness card. And we'll, we'll try to figure out last we'll Dick and Matt Bernie are like, why this card came up so light. But, I mean, that's sort of the real-world reality of it. An awful week for racing, another black guy for a sport that cannot afford it, and another reminder that they probably don't care about us the better. And if they do care about the better, they have to do a much better job, the other better, uh, a much better job policing the sport and making sure the guys who get caught cheating, whether it's a little bit or a lot, those guys are penalized. And until that happens, you go and bet these and handicap these races knowing that it is probably not 100% on the up and up. So the question becomes for us this weekend should we be betting on Medina Spirit again, the Preakness? He's not for me. He makes sense, but I'll be going against. But that's why we have this podcast. It's a handicapping betting podcast. Let's get to it Preakness 146. (laughs) And as we get set to pick through the uh, late pick five at Pimlico, Preakness Day 146 on Saturday, we do so by first uh, congratulating everybody, Matt Bernier, Uh, of course, Matt Bernier's show on YouTube, In the Money Media, NBC Sports Edge. Uh, He liked Mandelown in the Derby, and at some point here, it feels like in the next uh, week, 10 days, two weeks, uh, he'll be crowned the Derby champion. Matt, what's going on, man?
0: Well, I I guess it would be a small consolation prize, knowing that none of the (laughs) money would be coming back. But, you know... uh, I tell you what, we talked about that race, and I continue to go back and watch it. And every time, I think he's going to go by, and he just never does. And look, I thought the horse had a perfect trip. I thought he had a great ride. And uh, unfortunately, he found one better than him on the first Saturday in May.
2: Yep, I thought at the top of the lane that uh, we're going to have a Bernie or Matnansky Exacta. I thought we'd have 9-7 or 7-9, some way, shape, or form, but just not... Uh, work out that way as Medina Spirit was able to hold on. And obviously, he has been the biggest story here, Matt. I know you spent a lot of time extensively on the Matt Bernier Show this week going through this topic, so I don't want to, to let it linger. But as someone who did like Mandalound, like because I didn't. I, I I used him in some plays because of you, but I didn't like him. I liked Hot Rod Charlie, and he was not good enough to, you know, you got DQ two horses to get him into the winner's circle. But you did. Uh, and I'm curious, as somebody who handicaps, somebody who bets, do you feel cheated at all? What are the feelings when Medina Spirit tests positive for this, you know, legal substance that was used too close to race time, and you know your horse, you know, could have won and was probably best and is going to be named the Derby winner here? It feels like. I mean, I, do you feel cheated by the outcome as someone who liked the runner-up?
0: Uh, no. I guess the simple answer would be no. But to me, it's it's more a everything that's gone on is more a symptom as opposed to the, the the reason that we're at this point, we've allowed things to go for so long in horse racing to, to get to this point where I'm not even that disappointed about the fact that the horse that I like didn't finish first. or didn't cross the wire first. Anyway, it's more a matter of all the other peripheral things that go along with it. And that we have the, the spotlight on, on this sport. You know, look, we do, we do this, you do the podcast four times a year, the triple crown and the breeders cup. And, basically what the the general public pays attention to us for, for those three or four days. And for something like this to happen on this stage, it took a long while for us to get to this point. But make no mistake about it, this wasn't a one off. This has been going on for a long time. So, you know, the, the simple answer for me is to say no, that I'm not that disappointed that I'm, I'm lost out on the money that I should have rightfully had in my pocket if everything goes the way it seems like it's going to. But it, it's more a matter of look, this can't continue. This cannot go on. If you expect people to keep coming back and playing your, your sport, betting on your races, you can't give off the impression that it's not on the level. Because if it's not, or if at least the perception is that it's not, there's sports betting. There's betting on so many other different things that, not to mention, are more cost-efficient. Um, I, I just think it's a, it's a gross level of arrogance to think that people are just going to keep coming back just because... They're going to keep coming back. You can't take the better for granted. And I, I fear that I fear that this is where we are now. And hopefully it's a bit of a tipping point. So, you know, I don't know if that was a great answer. Or I know it was all over the place. But the idea is, no, I'm not super disappointed about the result. Obviously, I would have liked to have had Mandaloon win. But at the same time, if it means that we get some sort of correction for the way everything's gone on, I would gladly take a loss.
2: Yeah, and you touched on a lot of things that I talked about here to open the podcast because, again, it's a betting podcast, right? I, I'm not here to talk about breeding or ownership. I'm, I'm glad those people were involved and it helps the game. But, you know, Matt, you and I talk to the, the – we, we sit at racetracks. We talk to race fans. I mean, you entertain them on your podcast every week, and they send in videos. Like, these people care about the sport enough to tape a video handicapping a race so that Matt you can play it – On his YouTube show, and like that's that to me is where the slap in the face occurs. And you're right; it was not not a huge surprise. If you follow racing for any amount of time, it's not a huge surprise at work like this. What is surprising is that like the sport doesn't want to be more transparent and and to punish those trainers and those in the game who get caught repeatedly doing certain things. And I think for me is a better. And you just talked about it. My handle is down the last year and a half, two years. It's gone on to other places. My gambling money has gone elsewhere because I don't feel like the sport police itself to the point where they really care about me as a better. If they did, things like this that happened previously with Bob Bafford you know, would have, would have had a bigger factor on punishments and actually, you know, instead of hiding it like they did in California, in my opinion, it would have been out in the open and it just feels like you don't care about the better when you continually let people play the game a certain way.
0: Well, and and I mean, take it, take it another step and think about it from sort of this standpoint of what we're doing right now. We're talking about some of the races on treatment this weekend. If we shouldn't have to sit here and say, you know, this horse on paper really doesn't look all that good, but you never know. Maybe something's going to go on and the horse yeah. is going to run the best race of their life where it almost undermines the entire process where, you know, here I am trying to suss out, well, do I think everything is on the square? If it's not, what good is the analysis or the opinions that we're providing? I think it's one of those things, too, where this isn't just a sort of high-level problem in racing. This There's a trickle-down effect that it's happening at that level, but the ramifications coming from it um, I, I'm hopeful. It feels like for me the first, this is the first real time that we've had not just betters or folks who sort of analyze races, but also horsemen and women and owners and you name it. There's a, there's a lot of people that are pissed off, and I, I think I'm hopeful anyway, which, again, maybe that's stupid because there has never been any change before this, so why should I get my hopes up? But I, I'd like to think this is potentially a turning point.
2: Yeah, On the biggest stage, it certainly it can only help um, to, to return of attention to different traders, people in the sport that are pushing those edges, and we know what happens, but when it happens, it should be punished more than a slap on the wrist. And Matt did a good job talking about that, and I urge you to go to YouTube uh, or on the uh, iTunes podcast, or anywhere you find your podcast, and, and, and watch Matt's show for Monday. He does a much better job than I can do. So we're explaining some of the bigger picture issues with this. Uh, but that being said, like I know what I'm getting into. I know what the sport entails, and I will be – investing some time and money in the races this weekend preakness weekend 146 uh and as a race look it, it, i think it speaks to the whole card itself on saturday which is wildly underwhelming in my opinion but the preakness itself i mean i, I don't know I, I i don't know quite where to, to, to spend a lot of time on it because it, it, it maybe things are uh uh more different than they seem at least on paper but i'll go back to the derby mat and start there It's as simple as the Matt Bernier win contenders, which ran one through four in the Superfecta. And if I had been smart, we would be rich right now if we just played that for a buck. We didn't do that. So let's start there. I have four win candidates on my list here for the Preakness that could win the race. It would not completely floor me. What does the Matt Bernier win candidate list look like so we can build a super ticket for the Preakness?
0: There are only three. So you're going to have to find that fourth one on your own. Um, And and honestly, I I may even be able to go down to two, but we'll go with three. Uh, Medina Spirit is the most likely winner of the race. Uh, I don't think there's really any question about it, even with all the stuff going on surrounding him in the camp. Um, he's the speed nearest the rail. I think he's going to go right to the front and take the steel gate to wire. Frankly, I'd, I'd be very surprised if he didn't win the race. Um, I think Midnight Bourbon, number five. Look, a lot of people wanted to sit there and say, wow, you know, his derby really wasn't that good. You know, if you go back and watch that replay of the Kentucky Derby, he basically had a no-hoper kind of trip. And for him to to pick up some pieces, I know he only finished sixth, but for a horse whose game is predominantly being involved from the start, he got away from the gate a little bit on the sluggish side, and and I think that may have taken him a little bit out of his element. But in the big picture, I think he ran a credible race. Um, You know, There's still that nagging suspicion for me as we talked about him before the Derby, the idea that maybe he's not quite of the, the A caliber, maybe he's A minus or B plus which is good enough to, to pick up some checks in these big, big races. Um, but I do think with a with a better trip, which he projects to get here, I think he's got a big chance. And I I convinced myself, I, I kept looking at this horse, and, and frankly, I've never really loved him. But the the parallels are uncanny between the 2017 Preakness winner, Cloud Computing, and the number four horse, Crowded Trade. And I, I finally convinced myself that there is a scenario in which I could see this horse winning for Chad Brown at double-digit odds in, in a very similar fashion to the way Cloud Computing won this race a few years ago. So those are the three for me, the three, the four, and the five.
2: Well, you and I are on the three. The one I would add, and we can circle back to some of these others, because I want to add in some context to it. Uh, the other one I think can win, I'm not going to pick him my top four, but look, I, it's not going to shock me if Tour, you Tour know, is able to either sit right off Medina Spirit, or if he gets sent to the front by Mike Smith and he's able to go wire to wire or one two, and this is where it gets a little bit tricky, Matt. Because from a pace scenario, the the time form pace projector, it's the two Bafferts and that's it. So you take me through the psychology of like, how does Bob Baffert you know tell one jockey who Medina Spirit, Johnny Velasquez is the only one in the front? Like, okay, now you got to concede the lead to Concert tour, concert tour only ones in the front. So how do you see it playing out? And and what's the most likely scenario amongst the two Bob Baffert horses, the favorite and the second choice? Who are the two speeds in this race?
0: I would be stunned if we saw some sort of a speed duel. And I think the way that the draw played out really worked out to Baffert and company's favor. Because I think the last thing you would want is Medina's spirit to have the outer draw, where now you have to make a decision. Are you going to clear off or are you going to be content sitting just off? I think the fact that he finished first or crossed the wire first in the Kentucky Derby, and as of right now is the Derby winner, I think he's going to go right to the front and I think Mike Smith is going to basically be instructed to sit just off of his flank and uh, meaning basically half or three quarters of a length off of Medina spirit and take your chance from there. If you're good enough, great. If not, whatever you do, don't get into some sort of a duel. I think that's going to be a lot easier said than done because to me, concert tour, he could look on paper. He's fast enough to win this race or he's close to fast enough anyway, I just, I'm a not convinced that he's really a two-turn horse, despite the fact that he won the Rebel two starts back. But he did that walking out on the front end. I thought it was as candy a trip as you're ever going to find, and he's also not the most rateable horse. He wants to go, and I, the, the reason I'm I'm throwing him out entirely, saying you know what, I, I think he's nowhere. I think he's off the board. I think he's fifth or sixth, because I think Smith is going to have to wrangle this horse back so much. And if he ends up pulling, pulling, pulling early on because he wants to go, but the instructions are not to go, I think that's going to cost him dearly. And if I'm not convinced that added ground is necessarily his friend, I think, I think the tank is going to be empty at the top of the lane, and I think he's going to back up. That's, that's my sort of hypothesis. It could be entirely wrong on Saturday afternoon. But I think Concert Tour is the one who concedes the lead, and I think it's going to be to his detriment. I think he's going to affect the way that he runs.
2: The other horses you mentioned are very logical. The crowded trade, you know, I texted you a couple days ago, said I'd land on Chad, and this is, this will be the one for me, and I'll talk more about them in the podcast, but the, the parallels are, are pretty good, and I do like the idea here, Matt, that, you know, Chad Brown wanted to go to this race. They pointed here uh, after the Wood Memorial, skipped the Derby, uh, and the owner wants to win here. He's already won once. There's a tie to Maryland there. He's got some Red Sox ties as well, uh, which means nothing for picking the race, but I, it makes a lot of sense at a good price. And I'll give you just uh, on the Midnight Bourbon thing I was interested in Aspison making a, a turnaround like this. I knew he'd had a couple of Derby and then Preakness winner runners like Hence, uh, uh looking at Lee, maybe some others. Uh three year olds and up the last two years for, for Steve Aspison, ten to fourteen days on dirt. He's twenty-four percent with an almost five dollar ROI. So I, I I thought he made sense from that there was some history there. He's run fast enough and he should get a much better trip. If his trip in the Derby wasn't good, isn't IRAD supposed to be getting this horse more involved? Shouldn't he be sitting right in that second group, maybe with crowded trade behind the two Baffert's up front?
0: Yeah, I mean, if this thing plays out the way it, it seems to look as clear as it is on paper, I mean, he should have the perfect trip where he's, yeah. he's pocketed up those two horses. The Baffert horses go right there. IRAD has this horse maybe a length off. Uh, and has every opportunity if he's good enough going into that far turn and, and trying to take his shot and have him at least in position at the top of the lane where you got a quarter of a mile to go uh, to be able to go on and, and get the job done. There is still that that element of me, my sort of psyche though that does wonder. You know, it feels like he always finds one better. And and I again, I, I really like the horse. I think he's very very talented. And I think he's an honest racehorse. I just can't help but think that is he going to be that horse that we're going to look back on two years from now and say, wow, he earned $2 million and he won two graded stakes races. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's entirely possible. He dances all the dances and I guess to your point though, it is, it speaks volumes that Asmussen wheels him right back in two weeks after that race.
2: Yep. And I'll also point out that uh, like that Louisiana Derby, I don't know what people thought about going in. I obviously liked it picking hot Rod Charlie coming out of the Kentucky Derby. That race looks pretty good. Hot Rod Charlie was right there. Uh, Mandelon was awesome. Uh, Obesos was running on there. So uh, if you want to use that as a key race, you can project it forward. Uh, One more before we get a a pick and a price here on the Preakness with Matt Bernier. You texted me about uh, Francisco Diana, the the (laughs) Japanese horse, suggesting this horse had a shot. I have a big my My big note is please have Matt explain what he wants to do with this horse. Uh, he's 20 to 1 on the morning line. Are you still interested in using uh, the Japanese uh, bread sent in here in any part of your tickets on Saturday?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, if you're playing some sort of a super, I ended up picking him fourth because I think he can come with a run. And all I said to you was I feel like the Japanese form typically plays a little bit better or translates better to the United States than maybe the horses that we typically see from the Middle East. And I know his most recent run came in the UAE Derby, but it was basically a no-hope kind of trip. He broke a little bit slow. Keep in mind, it was his first start since the end of December as a two-year-old. Broke a little bit slow, ran up on heels a number of times, weaved through traffic, and he came with a little bit of a run at the end. I I I think he's better than what we saw that day. Is he good enough to win this race? You know, that remains to be seen. I mean, this is definitely a big ask. And also keep in mind, the intention of the the folks involved is to run in this race and the Belmont. So, you know, in a weird way, this could almost just be a stepping stone to get him to Belmont Park. But um, I I won't be surprised, put it that way, if he ends up running a a surprisingly good race, maybe a race better than people expect
2: all right. Oh, uh, two more. We'll go move on to some other races here with uh, Matt Bernier. Give me your, I guess your top choice here, Matt, your 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 win selection of the Preakness and give me a price, a pick and a price here uh, for Preakness 146.
0: Yeah, the, the pick is Medina Spirit, the three horse. I think he just goes right to the front and, and takes the field gate to wire. I have no reason to, to think otherwise. And if they try to get cute and take him out of his element, I mean, it'll just continue on this ridiculous week that we've had. Um, <laughs> as, as far as the price goes, again, I, I don't, you know, maybe it's not the, the sexiest price, but he's 10 to 1 on the line. I'll go with crowded trade. Um, I, I picked him second in here. I think he has at least a puncher's chance. And, and that Wood Memorial, the thing that really kind of convinced me was, you know, I use Timeform US and take a look at the the incremental splits and the sort of, you know, hot the pace figures that they use. And he made his big move into the hottest part of the race. And a lot of people want to say that he that he hung. And look, I I think he may have hung in the Gotham and I'm not ruling out that he just doesn't want to pass horses, but at the same time there's reason, if you just looked at it from any other race, the way that he ran in that wood, there's reason to think that he could take a step forward. And again, I I can't overstate it enough. If you can find Cloud Computing's past performances they are almost identical to this horse for all parties involved. Owner, trainer, jockey the way that he's run through three starts it's, it's eerily similar. So uh, maybe he doesn't go off at 10-1, to 1. maybe he goes off at 8-1, to 1, but crowded trade, I guess, would be my price.
2: Yeah, I think he's got a big shot in here, um, and it's also worth noting that I believe that Eric Cancel's a good rider. Uh, Javier Castellano is probably a little bit past his prime. I-, I believe it's an upgrade, and there's a good history with Chad and Javier. He gets it. So Matt Bernier's got the three, Medina Spirit, the Derby winner for now, uh, on top here, crowded <laughs> trade, the four, uh, as his price play, picking a price here for the Preakness 146. Uh, let's go back uh, one race here, the 12th, the dinner party. Uh, The grade two going a mile and a sixteenth in the turf. This usually ends up being a really fun race. We've spent as much time handicapping this race in the past, Matt, as we had the actual Preakness, and Ironicus was a big winner for us back in the day uh, in a race like this. Today we draw eight, uh, and Chad Brown draws a strong hand. What do you want to do in race number 12, part of the late double into the Preakness, the dinner party grade two on the turf at Pimlico?
0: If you're just looking at the race from a speed figure standpoint, this is essentially Sacred Life's race to lose because he's danced in many of the big dances. He's earned fast figs. I've liked the horse. I've picked him on a few occasions. But he is not very trustworthy. And at a very, very, very short price, uh, I think this is a a prime opportunity to take a chance against him. I I ended up going to the far outside, and this will be my pick to to win the race, the 8 Bye Bye Melvin for Graham Motion. Motion's got two in here. This one's 10-to-1. 1. Johnny V's got the mount. Uh, you know, All things considered, I thought that allowance race coming back at Keeneland uh, about a month ago, he didn't win the race, but I thought he ran the best race because he was close to a relatively hot pace. And if you go back and watch the tape, he was very, very on the muscle. He was keen early on, and Johnny V was basically having his arms pulled out of their socket, trying to get him to relax a little bit. At a mile and a 16th over good going, I think he expended a lot of energy. And for him to still be involved and only lose to midnight teatime time by a neck, I think he's going to improve second off the bench. And he's, the, he's a prime example for anybody who's always, you know, questioning the effect that equipment can have on a certain horse. If you look at his lifetime past performances, the four most recent starts are the only starts he's ever had with blinkers. And they are far and away the best races of his career. And he's a lightly raced four-year-old. I think you get a forward move here, for second off the bench, and I think he might trip out. So, uh, bye bye, Melvin. It's going to be my pick here in this race.
2: Uh, you want to use a price, or you want to use that as your pick and your price A ten to one? That's a that's a that's a nice little pick here as part of the late double. Well, I tell you what, he w- he'll
0: be my pick to win. But if you're looking yeah. for, let's say, a shorter price that's probably at least as likely, if not more likely, a winner. Um, don't let the morning line deceive you because the number three Kuramata is going to be a heck of a lot shorter than six to one. Um, I have a feeling he vies for favoritism. I think he's probably in that five to two, three to one range. Hmm. Uh, he's not fast enough on paper right now, um, but he could not have been handled more confidently by a rad in that allowance race at Aqueduct at the beginning of April. He never changed lead. That bothers me, but at the same time, he's a European horse. They, you know, They don't always do that, so... I'm not going to hold it against him too much here. It feels like Chad is primed for a new horse to kind of step up and be the, the boss of the barn. I don't know if it's this horse, but I, I like the progression that, that Chad's sort of bringing him on, taking him through that maiden race, getting the allowance race. Now this is, for all intents and purposes, relatively soft group or graded stakes field. Uh, Kuramata I think is a a likely win contender and again, you're probably going to get half that morning line when all is said and done.
2: And again, Sacred Light at seven to five, eight to five is going to be a real contender here. But I, I like that Matt is going some different directions. I, I makes the eight makes a lot of sense to me. Buyer Top in the first start of a four-year-old campaign, always a nice move for Grand Motion. The horse I want to mention here that should not, I, I don't think, should be ignored uh, as some part of your play uh, on Preakness Day is the one some like it, hop Brown from Mike Maker. And uh, I've always liked this horse. He likes to be on the front end. He's a, a he's willing to go to the front. Uh, he's done it in the past. He owes me nothing after his effort at almost nine to one in the Bernard Baruch last year at Saratoga. But if you look at his past performances, his second off the layoff, he always improves. Like he did it in 2020. He did in two th- later in 2020. Uh, and I thought in the Maker's uh, Mile, mar- the the Maker's Mark Mile, they were absolutely flying. He was right on that pace. I wonder if that was sort of a prep to set him up for uh, something either this weekend or for Belmont. They end up here and as a speed who's going to be prominent throughout Epimlico. I am definitely going to use some like at Hot Brown with Mike Maker and Jose Ortiz uh, as an A on my multi-tickets and, and, and try to get through uh, to some plays there in the Preakness. Um, I, I want to go to Friday. We'll tell people that the one more race I want to talk about with Matt here is the Black Eyed Susan on Friday. And I think it's interesting for a couple reasons. One, it's part of this Black Eyed Susan Preakness Daily Double, which if you played in the Derby, there was a lot of value to be found just playing off the favorite. Uh, in the Oaks the day before, into one of the win contenders, I thought on Saturday it, it, it paid very well for two bucks uh, into Medina Spirit, and I wonder if we have a similar situation here. He's front and center, mile and an eighth going to the dirt, race thirteen on Friday. He is Bob Baffert. It's Johnny V. The Derby connections, Matt uh, nine to five on the morning line. He stands out, I guess, in, in some speed figures, not so much in others, and I, I guess starting with the favorite, Beautiful Gift. Uh, Is she as good as that morning line? And you tell me, were the California Phillies, because I don't know this, you follow it better than I do, were they as good as the California boys? Like, I thought that was the best group in the country. I did not follow the Phillies side of it. Is Beautiful Girl beating up on these girls out west, is that worth something, or is California not the best spot to be for the girls this year?
0: Look, I'm of the opinion that I I want no part of her. I mean, I I threw her out entirely, just simply because, Look, she is the fastest, depending on which figs you want to look at. But to answer your question, you know, the three-year-old girls in California this year, they just kind of, I don't know, they took turns beating each other. A couple of the marquee fillies ended up getting dinged up, and they had to be taken off the path to the Oaks. So I think that kind of watered it down a little bit as well. And also think about this. This is something that I I don't want to say gets overlooked often, but in her last three starts, going back to her last start as a two-year-old, which is in the middle of October, if you combine the fields, she's running against 12 horses. I mean, she, she's been running in, in four-horse fields yeah. basically for three out of her four lifetime starts. Great point. Um, the Philly, I get it. She was well clear of Moraz in that, in that Santa Anita Oaks. Moraz didn't do a heck of a lot of running in the Kentucky Oaks most recently. That was a snail's pace up front. I don't want to say Johnny V got caught kind of sleeping at the wheel, but at the same time, you know, I... I I don't know really that it would have made a heck of a lot of difference if he tried to open up and, as opposed to having Sue, say, scoot up the inside. I just – look, I wouldn't bet her at 8-1. Put it that way. I, I priced her out, and I made her – I think fair odds are 8-1. to one. She's 9-5. to She's going to be a fraction of that. Maybe I'll look like an idiot when all of a sudden done on Friday. But uh, beautiful gift. I want no part of her in here.
2: All right, so let's go through this field then. Who would stand out to you? I mean, there are some good Phillies in here. Uh, Todd Pletcher's got an improving one. Uh, at eight to one right now, Chad Brown has a horse that's been battling with his other horse search results and is going blinkers off. A big move for Chad. Uh, Brad Cox always deadly on big days like this. He has won at least in the time form numbers is right there. Although those were earned most recently on a synthetic at, at Turfway Park. If it's not going to be nine to five, we like going against favorites here, Matt. What do you want to do in the Black-eyed Susan, the big race on Friday?
0: I like the nine adventuring quite a bit for for Cox and Giroux. I I think she's the kind of horse. You take a look at her pedigree, you know, Pioneer of the Nile. We know he was the sire of American Pharaoh, and unfortunately, Pioneer of the Nile's passed on. But, you know, it, basically any of his offspring can do whatever they want. They can sprint, they can route, dirt, turf, doesn't matter. Uh, her mom was questing. Questing West. was a filly who was very, very quirky. She wouldn't run in a straight line, but she was exceptionally fast. She won the coaching club American Oaks at Saratoga. She won the Alabama at Saratoga. Uh, so distance, you know, adventuring, she gets stamina from both sides of, of her family, from her mom and her dad. And I, I like the fact that she won and broke her maiden on dirt as impressively as she did two back at the fairgrounds and then came right back on an entirely different surface. And, you know, typically you can look at the, the Turfway Park races and with a little bit of a grain of salt. But, yeah, really, when you go and watch the tape, I mean, she looked spectacular flow kept her in the clear and basically when he said it was time to go he didn't even really have to get into her he just kind of dropped his hands a little bit and she looked like a car driving around a bunch of horses and <laughs> I-, I thought it was a really impressive effort the sixth place finisher in that race was the next out winner was an 80 buyer uh it, it, i i just get the the sense that adventuring is a philly who maybe right now the figures aren't there but I think she's just scratching the surface. I think she's going to be one of the better three-year-old fillies as we go on throughout the year. I'm not saying she's molotot good, but I think she could be a, a legitimate sort of grade one caliber filly on um, both dirt and turf. And I think that's one of the, the most interesting things for Godolphin and, and, and company that I think she can do a little bit of anything. So she's four to one on the morning line. To me, uh, she's the most likely winner. I'd bet her at five to two.
2: Uh, it's an awesome, awesome uh, work through, and I, I had not realized just how good the pedigree was there. On the number nine, adventuring in the Black-Eyed Susan, that's your pick on top. Is there a price you want to uh, work in with adventuring as part of the race, Manny?
0: Yeah, you know, we always, this time of year, you get the local hopes, the Maryland connections that, that usually send something into either the Preakness or the Black-Eyed Susan crab or both cake races. The local crab cake angle, I love it, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Leslie, the seventh. Um, I thought she ran really well in the Weber City Miss. Maybe it's not the flashiest race you've ever seen but for her to overcome the kind of trip that she had she rallied from the back of the pack she galloped out like a freight train when all was said and done and if you go through her her pps kind of with a fine-tooth comb it, it, it stands out that her two best races have come in the only two times she's been allowed to go two turns and i feel like a mile and an eighth is going to be right in her wheelhouse she's going to get overlooked because she is coming out of lesser races and has taken on cheaper company um and no she's not a likely winner but i think she can certainly get a piece of this thing at a big price and she's the only one proven at pimlico already so uh miss leslie she's 15 to 1 on the line um i think that's pretty close to to fair i i I pegged her at 12 to 1 the number seven miss leslie i'd use her underneath i picked her second
2: yep and the horse that i'm going to want to use and matt matt's on some good ones there uh i'm going to want to use the sixth ice latte for uh todd pletcher in this spot you mentioned pioneer the nile that's the sire malibu prayer the daughter of Malibu Moon. She won the uh, Ruffian. She won the Lighthouse. Big races at Saratoga and Monmouth, respectively. She was uh, she won the Chaluki at, at uh, Churchill. Uh, she was second, I think, in the Molly Pitcher. So there is some there's some talent there as well. Distance should not be an issue, and I think Ice Latte is going to be forwardly placed. And I I know the pace projector is saying there are some other speeds in there. Uh, I'm interested. Adventuring, actually, real quick, Matt, adventuring is considered on the pace projector one of the speeds. Do you expect to be part of that first flight potentially with Ice Latte and uh, the number three horse who's also uh, spritz for uh, Rudolph Brissett who uh, went to the front in that uh, Bourbon at Oaks last time out? Um, I think she'll be close. I don't know if she'll be actually up there pushing it. I, I agree with you. I, I
0: picked Ice Latte third. I think she's got a big chance in here. I thought that run at Belmont was better than maybe even the paper would suggest because she put away the other speed horse in there who was the favorite that day, and she just got run down by the horse who made the last move. I think adventuring is probably maybe third or fourth When in the big picture. I think Ice Latte goes. I, I agree. I think Spritz is going to be – I think the only way she can win is by going. So, yeah. I would imagine those are the two that go, and then adventuring kind of takes up that three or four wide stalking trip, maybe two or three lengths off of it. And, again, if she's good enough, she should have every opportunity.
2: Uh, Matt, where can people check out your thoughts uh, over the course of this race weekend? got
0: a number of things over on NBCSports.com slash Edge, uh, both racing and hockey, but that's going to be the predominant piece. And then, obviously, the uh, the podcast, you can find that over on In The Money Media's uh, YouTube channel or basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts too.
2: Oh, I forgot. Oh, wait a second here. This is great timing. We got Bruins we Caps got. game one on, on on Saturday night. Are you going with your yeah. local Bs? Are you picking against them? And what? Either way, I'm not sure who comes out of it. I don't have a strong take because they're both good teams, but this should be a very physical, tough series. Are you picking the Bruins, Matt Bernier? Yeah, I'm picking the Bs. I, I think it's the perfect storm where,
0: you know, we talked about it before the, the Derby or during the Derby pod, that they, they needed to make a move. And they did. And this is the first year that it feels like they made a significant move. And I understand, basically, they were gifted Taylor Hall. But the idea of he's changed not just, you know, his game, because he was terrible when he was with Buffalo, it was as if he wasn't even playing, but he's woken Krejci up. And I think top to bottom, the most interesting thing for me with, with the Bruins is going to be h- how confident are you in Tuka Rask? Because I believe in Swayman. I, I think Swayman is good, and we've seen in the past Young goaltenders, it's almost as if they just don't really even understand the stakes. And they get out there, and they just play over their head. And I'm not suggesting that's what the situation is with Swayman, because he obviously had a great career at Maine. But I I just – I believe in the Bruins. I really do. And and it's my opinion. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I think the East is the best of the four divisions. It's just a matter of – (laughs) <laughs> how badly do they beat one another up in route to the Final Four?
2: <laughs> uh, it's going to be fun. NBCSports.com slash Ed for Matty's thoughts on the horses uh, and the hockey this weekend, Matt. It's uh, kind of a weird week for racing. They'll cap it off with a preakness, and then we'll have, uh, I feel very confident saying, a much deeper, much uh, more enjoyable race card coming up three weeks from now on the Belmont Stakes weekend as they have put a lot of time and effort in making that thing. little mini Breeders' Cup in June. Looking forward to it, Matt. Good luck this weekend, buddy, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. You got it, Mike. Well, it's getting hard to keep track, quite frankly, with our next guest, uh, who we know is going to be calling some races at Sam Houston. We know is part of the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Awesome group. And now, I guess we can officially announce, going to be the uh, handicapper and paddock analyst at Colonial Downs this summer, our great friend Jessica Paquette. Jess, what's going on?
1: You know, kicking off the summer of fun.
2: You have a lot going on. Are you prepared for the amount of, of like handicapping and work that they're going to make you do this summer?
1: To be fair, none of this actually feels like work. I still can't believe that anyone pays me to do any of this. Uh, it's, I'm just very grateful to everything this industry has given me. I love it more than anything, despite some of its shortcomings lately.
2: <laughs> Which we'll get to, I'm sure. We will first uh, say thank you to Jess, whether she knows this or not. I don't think we've talked since. Uh, but on Derby Day, in the ballroom O'Hagan Sun, uh, I liked Chad Brown in the turf race. You like New York Girl. I gave that as my exact, think of it, 50 bucks. Jess, you you nailed that. Hey, we we that's nailed true. that. That was thing. a tough
1: beat for me because I had that one on top. We,
2: so we were able to start the day well uh, at Derby Day. It was all downhill from there, but we started it well thanks to Jess's pick here on the podcast. We'll get to some of the racing coming up uh, in a couple of minutes. But if you follow Jess on Twitter, uh, at Jessica M. Paquette, you know that she is uh, not, not only uh, working in the sport, but she's a fan of the sport and has very thoughtful commentary on the sport, both in good and in bad times. And as you alluded to, Jess, it has been sort of a melancholy week in the aftermath of the Derby. The enthusiasm I've noticed around the industry, uh, you know, for sort of talking about this weekend and the preakness and getting excited for it, it's not there because you've got this looming gray cloud of, uh, you know, the reality of the sport. And I was just curious, before we get into the race themselves, uh, you've talked about this on Twitter. You and I have talked uh, a lot about the sport over the years. What did you think about this last week or so and Medina Spirit testing positive for uh, his substance uh, in the, the aftermath of winning the Kentucky Derby?
1: I think this is a sad time for the sport, honestly. I am hoping at this point that, you know, that that hokey saying that things are darkest before the dawn. And if this doesn't encourage anyone to support Haiza uh, or, you know, some kind of federal or regulatory oversight, have um, a kind of, you, know, you Universal oversight for the sport, I think, is really important at this point. Um, We need medication control. We need some anti-doping enforcement. There's a lot that the sport needs as it's going to move forward, and I believe in the sport. I think this is the greatest sport there is, and I think that most of the people in it are better than this.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. The the commentary, um, you and I talked a few minutes before we we came on here, uh, it's been all over the place. What what I have been, I I will say what, what is made me feel a little bit better is that finally it seems that the people in the sport itself, the I'll say the other trainers who train with Bob Baffert, it feels like they maybe, Jess, have reached a a breaking point, and I think we're going to need them as, as a handicapper, as a fan of the sport. I think we need big-name trainers who train with Bob and big-name owners who have horses with Bob or not with Bob. I think they've got to stand up and say, look, when a guy has the same sort of penalty, same sort of uh, infraction, you know, four times in a year, has a track record now that is, is sketchy at best, and there's really no severe penalties, like, we've got to say something about it. Do you think the sport is ready, the people in the sport themselves, itself, excuse me, are ready to sort of stand up and have their say now this has happened on the sport's biggest stage?
1: I really hope so, because at this point, if we want the sport to continue, um, we we can't allow the integrity of the game to be further eroded. And that's all this is doing. Whether this, you know, is an innocuous medication for a skin condition, which I am skeptical of, or not, uh, you know, or if it's something more nefarious, we... We owe it to the horse players. We owe it to the fellow horsemen and women, and we owe it to the horses to do better than this.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting point. Like I, again, I don't. I would not pretend to be. You know, I, I know nothing about the horses except their past performances. You are around horses every single day. Uh, you sort of alluded to it there. It, it sounds like you are uh, not ready to buy what seems like a, a tailor-made excuse for the Baffert camp. A, a day after with a media tour claiming canceled culture and conspiracies. Oh, by the way, here's this substance, Orthomax, that just happens to have uh, this steroid in it that, oh, yeah, the horse took for X amount of days and I didn't know about it. Just, it. To me, it seemed like a very convenient excuse, especially given he has vowed to do better in the aftermath of what happened with Gamine and others at Oakland Park last spring.
1: In charlatan and so on yeah, and yeah. so forth. Now, I, mean, I have hands-on horses every day. I have two retired racehorses of my own. And horses are very prone to getting stupid, gross skin conditions. They're they're large. They're in mud a lot. It's easy for them to get all sorts of crud. And I have to tell you, and I know every horse person does things differently, that's not what I use when my horse gets fungus. That's what I use in my dog's ears.
2: You? So that's funny. You, Graham Motion, and, and, Graham my, Motion. and my buddy Jeff, who and the group text said, I use that crap on my dog's ears. And then Graham says, it. it used
1: like it's, a li- it's a liquid. It's, it's this kind of like, I don't know. I use very different things when my horse gets fungus and none of those things would cause a bad test in any situation. Uh, because this is when I was horse showing and in horse show land, you also, you know, are subject to medication tests as well. They're prohibited substances. And I was always very mindful of the things I was giving him or do- putting on him. Um, and if I could manage to do that, I would think a multi-million dollar outfit could do that, too.
2: Well, it's interesting. We could do this topic you know, for an entire hour itself, uh, and, and we'll see. It's going to play out. I suspect that he'll end up the split sample, uh, which you talked about to start uh, this podcast here today. It's going to come back positive, and eventually uh, Medina Spirit's going to be DQ'd. That's the rule in Kentucky. And going back to what you said, what, what is frustrating about all this, Jess, is that different states have different rules. Different states, uh, you know, seemingly are willing to uh, allow certain stars of the sport to play by different rules. And whether it's the the governing body, whether it's a commissioner of horse racing, it feels like not only is it needed, it's going to have to be put in place to avoid situations like this going forward.
1: Absolutely. It's time. If we want to be treated like a top tier sport, we need to start acting like one.
2: And then I, I don't know if it's I don't know if the Medina Spirit situation led to this, uh, Jess, as we look at the, the Preakness weekend. But I mean, this race it, it just it doesn't it doesn't come up as a Triple Crown race. Now again, maybe it's the state of, of racing in 2021. Maybe it's people now pointing to Churchill and then five weeks later to Belmont. And these trainers wanted to, to, to space their horses out. But I mean, if you we'll go through this field here in a second, this is underwhelming as a Preakness field, a Triple Crown field as you're ever going to see.
1: I don't think this is a group of world beaters to begin with. I think there are some talented horses. Obviously, Mandaloon has proved that he's better than that Louisiana Derby. I think essential quality is going to turn out to be a really nice horse. But I don't think there's a superstar in this bunch. I think it's a really edible race, I guess, if you can figure out what to do with the Baffert horses, which is the greatest question we're all now asking ourselves when he has horses in the race is what
2: do you do with them? Well, not, and not only that, it's because they have a similar running style, right? I mean, you're talking about the two horses that are likely to be on the lead. And now as a handicapper, not only are you dealing with the horses and the aftermath of the, the Baffert effect uh, in the Derby, you also now have to play like psychologists. Like, how what does the trainer say? who, by the way, is not going to be there this week. The, the assistant trainer is going to be you know, apparently running the show. Wouldn't want to be a distraction. I, right? I mean, you, know, you don't want to go on Fox News and call cancel culture, but <laughs> that's not a distraction, <laughs> Bob. We totally understand. Um, you have to, You have to. as a psychologist, like, okay, so what are they going to do with the two horses? Because on paper, they're both good. Uh, Medina Spirit, even before the Derby, I thought had great fight to him. He showed in the California race against what I thought was the best of the group and life is good and rock your world. Like, he was... But now you have two horses, similar running styles, and I'm not afraid to bet on them. I, I, I suspect that, that, that the horses will be ready to go with or without Orthomax uh, you know, for their their dermatitis. But yeah, I don't
1: think that was I don't think that was the difference maker. <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't think that was the thing. But um, yeah, no, I think both of them are. I, I think both of them are going to run their races.
2: All right, do you are you are you, t- are you picking one of the Baffert horses here today? Do you like one of them to win the Preakness?
1: I don't pick chalk to begin with. First off, um, so no, I'm gonna try to beat them. Even if not knowing these things, I would have tried to beat them. So I'm just a little more enthusiastic about trying to do it here. Yeah, I, and I, I like I, crowded trade a little bit.
2: Uh, well, this is gonna be a crowded. This is gonna be a crowded trade podcast. It appears. I, I'll let you. <laughs> I'll let you talk about uh, you know the carbon copy of cloud computing uh, as why you like Chad Brown. he would be the short of the two Chad Brown horses. He's got two. I want to talk Did about you the other steal one. As well. My notes.
1: Because that's pretty much what I've written here. Uh, there's just so much that reminds me of him uh, coming into this race, and I like that he's he can sit off of what could be a potential speed duel. Uh, I, I think Chad's going to look the smartest of all this weekend, kind of say, you know sitting out the Peter Pan with one of them in favor of this. He, I, I think it's a Chad Brown exacta maybe, but I think both horses are coming into this race really well meant. And I, I know the Wood, Wood Memorial didn't really look that good after the Kentucky Derby. But I thought it was a good race from the source, and I like that he has a little bit of a bit of a turn of foot.
2: Uh, I want to talk to you about uh, you mentioned crowded trade. Let's go. Let's talk about risk taking. The other Chad Brown. You said they, they were going to run the Peter Pan. They skip it. He ends up here. He's the longer price of the two. Uh, you think it'd be one two Chad? So you think that, that this horse has an opportunity? I, I was curious about you know when you see a, a horse at two, you know for Chad Brown go on the turf second time out. Is that any, any of a, a, a bit of a hesitation given that, you know, Chad usually has an idea to where the point his Horses. This horse is now back in the dirt. He's got a good race under his belt winning the Withers. Uh, that early turf race, is that a sign uh, or lack of confidence, you think, from the trainer early on in the number 9 risk-takings campaign?
1: No, I think there was one major difference um, in those two races to what he's done since. And I know he hasn't really you know, set the world on fire since then, but he seems to be a lot more focused with Blinkers.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, and I, I think I'm with you on the the Chad angle here. He's won this race before. The owner, uh, Klarovich has won this race before. He actually wanted to run in this race. Crowded Trade was pointed here uh, after last time out. They said no, we're going to skip it. We're going to we're not going to go to the Derby. We're not. We could. They could have gotten in. They were right on the cusp of getting in. They said thanks, but no thanks. So you're going to look at Chad Brown towards the top of your tickets. Uh, who else interests you, Jess, as you look at this uh, race here this weekend?
1: So I like Midnight Bourbon. Um, I know we t- we spoke about on the last podcast that uh, tweet that was going to come back to haunt me about the Louisiana Derby being a nothing sort of prep race. And it definitely did, by the way, um, because all the horses coming out of that race came back and ran great. And Midnight Bourbon, you know, nothing horses will do quicker is make a liar out of you. And I thought he ran really well in Kentucky despite a tough trip and despite being pretty goofy in the week leading up to it he looked like a horse that was really having a hard time with the atmosphere and some really good horsemanship by Steve Asmussen kind of taking a lot of time schooling that horse in the paddock and making sure he had as good of an experience as he can I think this horse is only going to get better as he kind of gets a little more settled mentally in his job
2: uh, anyone else who you want to talk about as part of this race? I know there's a, a foreign shipper in uh, France, Godiana, who's going to have Joel Rosario board after a tough trip in the UAE Derby. Unbridled honor for Todd Pletcher running second to King Fury, who I know you liked. I'm a little bit surprised, Jess. i got to be honest. You were a King Fury fan heading into the Derby. Unfortunately, he scratched out a couple days prior to the race. Unbridled honor for Todd was right there with him. Any thoughts on those two heading into the Preakness?
1: I mean, I will take Todd at 15-1 to 1 in any graded stakes race anytime. And if you make it a son of honor code, yeah, I'm sold. i the source will certainly get a few of my dollars. I think there's a lot to like there. This is obviously one that does seem to be getting a little bit better as he kind of figures things out. My question with him is going to be the off track of Keeneland in the Lexington. I think like King Fury, I think he's one that maybe benefited a little bit from that wet going.
2: It's going to be interesting. It looks like it's going to be fast and firm uh, on Saturday, which is uh, kind of rare. It ends up a lot of these weekends being wet at Pimbleco. So if I gave, ask you for a pick and a price for the people listening here today, Preakness weekend, Jess, what would be your pick? What would be your price uh, in the Preakness on Saturday?
1: Uh, my pick is going to be Crowded Trade, and I will use Unbridled Honor as a price. I also think there's a very legitimate possibility that Concert Tour wins by a dozen lengths, but
2: I'm trying to beat them. All right, so uh, let's go back to that for one second. Uh, so of the two, Medina Spirit and Concert Tour, it sounds like you prefer Concert Tour?
1: I think Concertor tour comes in a little fresh, and that maybe gives him a little bit of an advantage. I also like that he's not really a need to lead type. He has speed, but he might. I, I kind of see the race shaking out where Medina Spirit goes to the front end, and concert tour kind of just tracks him right behind, and then makes that you know big take a deep breath move at the top of the
2: stretch. Yeah, we've seen Bob Baffert horses; they do amazing things uh, at the top of the stretch, that is for sure. Uh, in the Baffert camp, so I, I, I'm a. It's, he's an all or nothing horse. For me he can win the race. I could also see him running off the board, trying to chase Medina Spirit. Uh, but you That's and I, I you and I are in similar positions on our top spot uh, with Chad Brown in Crowded Trade trying to win his second uh, Preakness. I, I want to go to the 11th race. And this is an interesting card because you know, I-, I don't know if they had a hard time, again, drawing horses in because of uh, the Medina Spirit thing. If trainers just said, no, we're just going to pass and avoid it all. But it really, until you get to that late pick five, it is really tough to find some deep races. But when you get in there, including the late pick three that starts into the Preakness, this Maryland sprint, Drew, a bunch of horses. They're all on paper, uh, pretty similar. I had a tough time working through this 11th race, and I was hopeful that Jess Paquette would put us on a horse like New York Girl on Derby Day because this is a tough way, middle leg of the late pick five, getting into the Preakness. How about race 11? Your thoughts on the contenders here, horses you like in this Maryland Sprint Grade 3?
1: Well, I, I tend to judge a horse by the company they've been keeping. So you look at a horse like Strike Power, and he comes out of that count fleet at Oakland. CZ Rocket is a freak. Whitmore is the coolest horse in training, and Empire of Gold came back and won his next start. So he was fourth. It wasn't really that impressive of an effort, but he caught a much tougher group that day than he catches here. So I think he's a horse that can certainly come in and really make a better showing of himself.
2: Strike Power is a legit horse. I mean, as you said, he has had some weird pace scenarios. You know, Steve Aswison, Uh, Is one of the few trainers in the country that pointed to this weekend. He has a lot of horses. I think he's going to win a lot of races this weekend. I don't know if he's going to win the Preakness, but like you said, with Midnight Bourbon, he's got a shot. So it sounds like Strike Power on top would be your pick, the five horse in the Maryland Sprint Race 11. Is there a price horse you like as a a horse we can use in uh, exotic wagers in this race?
1: Absolutely. So number two, Yodel Yehu. I can't. I just can't with the name. (laughs) But. uh, Brittany and Sheldon Russell, they're a couple, they're kind of a power couple in the mid-Atlantic and they, they do very well. She's doing a tremendous job. I mean, she's hitting it like a 23% clip and the mid-Atlantic horse racing community is really interesting and very close knit to me. And I think this horse, I, well, they've never run at Pimlico with this one, a lot of upside here. And I, I don't know. I think this horse could, could surprise. Nice turn of foot. There looks like there's some pace here. Why not at a big
2: price? Well, and that's my question, uh, as I try to still work through this race between now and Saturday. Like, do you do you buy the idea in this race? Because it really is the, the Pimlico circuit that Maryland circuits become sort of a niche circuit. Do you think the horses have had success here? Like the number one horse, uh, Lackey, who uh, uh, or Lakai was interesting to me, especially given the fact two for four Pimlico has a bunch of races there in the Mid Atlantic. Do you think horses like that who've raced in that area, Jess, do they have an advantage on a weekend like this?
1: I think so, and I think I'm, I'm so you always kind of root for the hometown favorites a little bit and. Again, great community, like great horse racing community there. So it wouldn't surprise me if that horse can get a piece of it at a nice price too.
2: The five horse strike power, the number two horse Yoda Lee Ahu, which I've just butchered his name uh, here as Jess yeah, and I picked it's, through. It's not great. It's well, listen, you. I'm not the one I have to call races at Sam Houston. You better, <laughs> you better get used to these these Texas bred names here in a couple months.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm practicing a lot.
2: Uh, One more follow-up before we get you out. We haven't had a chance to talk since the Kentucky Oaks, and I liked Malathoc going in uh, and coming out of it. I thought she ran a great race. I mean, watching uh, her and Search Result battle down to the end, it was a great race for Todd and for Johnny V in that moment afterwards with Ortiz and Johnny V I thought was excellent. And now I've read a lot of people I respect who are uh, basically – Ready to hand her the Belmont stakes and saying this horse is bred to go the mile and a half. She she's built to go the mile and a half. You watch horses and you you can tell from their gait and their body type, you know, what type of horse they're going to be. Is Malathot the the, the Belmont I won't say cinch, but at one of these two or three Belmont favorites that everyone seems to be buzzing about three weeks outside the race?
1: If she goes, I'm keeping her on top of everything. Really? To be honest. She she's the I think she's the best horse in this crop at this point. And also oh, here's the interesting question. Who does Johnny V ride? Say Medina, So let's let's go hypothetical here. Say Medina Spirit wins on Saturday and there's a potential triple crown, sort of, or maybe.
2: Well there but yeah. uh, well hold on, let me stop. After, there's not going to be that horse is not gonna be the whenever the, that split result comes back, uh you know, unless Mandaloon jumps in this weekend and wins, <laughs> I don't think a triple crown's gonna be on the line. But I, but like I say, let's say he wins and he's got the but dirt who does,
1: Mm. Who does Johnny V ride? Um, and at the end of the day, I think Johnny V's the best in the game. He's who I would want on any horse, any day. And he's—I mean—I think he's the deciding factor uh, that gets Medina Spirit to, like to the wire in, in Kentucky.
2: Yeah, I—I I think I think he's on Malathot. I think he's riding for Todd. I think so too. I, I mean, this—the symmetry of the year. Todd goes in. He does, Did he ride Rags to Riches in the Belmont?
1: I think so. Don't quote me on it, but yes, I think so I, think he, I, I would assume so. I, I can't he, imagine anyone else would.
2: I think he did too. And I know that like so Bafford and Johnny V the last year or so really teamed up on some, some big time winners and so I get that there's a there are, you know, there's a relationship there. The the Pletcher Johnny V thing goes way back. I, I would say he's on mal thought for the Belmont Stakes.
1: I would hope so. That's I mean that's I, I would I would think so and I would hope so. But I, I think she's as legitimate a Philly as we've seen in a long time.
2: Yeah, I, that's really interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad we had a chance to bring that up because I've been thinking about that since that Friday. And the aftermath, everyone's saying the same thing. The way the horse is built, she's built to go the mile and a half. Like it, 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 She was just getting going at the mile and an eighth in the Kentucky Oaks.
1: And it's just not an imposing group of, of three-year-old males to, as well. There's, there's no horse in any of these races I'd be scared of if I was Todd.
2: All right, Jessica M. Paquette on Twitter, uh, Thoroughbred uh, Retirement Foundation. Uh, you can check out her Twitter account. She's part of an awesome event. What is that? What's the event called? It's coming up in a couple weeks or months. Your event, you're taking part in.
1: So the Real Rider Cup is yeah. the coolest thing I get to do every year. It it brings a bunch of you know people in racing, whatever you do, some retired jockeys, some active jockeys, some people that talk about ponies, and. It's virtual now, but I'll still go down to Fair Hill and take care, take, do a course down there where you get. I borrow a retired racehorse, usually one I've never ridden before. Wow! Jump a bunch of jumps and try not to embarrass myself in front of the people I respect most, like Grand Motion.
2: I think this is the event where I got like a, a picture of like an amazing Grand Motion set up his house, some ridiculous trophy. This is where you get to hang out with the elite because you are elite. You hang out with the elites down there, Bill, helping the sport.
1: It. Never, I mean, Grand Motion handing me like a bowl of dessert, having dinner at their house will never not be the coolest moment of my life. Or if I could have went back and told like fifteen year old me that this is where you'd be, like it's all okay. That's the moment. That's that's it.
2: All right, you're on Chad Brown and crowded t- trade in the Preakness. You've already planted your flag with Malathot, uh in the Belmont Stakes. I hope she runs because I want to talk about that race with you coming up in three weeks. Uh, she is Jessica Paquette, Jess. I uh, certainly appreciate the insight, uh, not only on the, the Preakness this weekend and some of the racing, but uh, the sport itself. There's no one better to talk about with these things. Uh, have a great Preakness weekend, and we'll talk to you prior to the Belmont.
1: Thanks, Mud. I hope him will go.
2: Well, a consensus building here on the podcast of the horse to go with, if you're not going to be with Bob Baffert on Saturday, he's got the favorite and the second choice. One of our favorites, Dick Girardi, joining us here. Uh, getting you set for all things Preakness 146. Uh, we could not get uh, Hot Rod Charlie home in the Kentucky Derby. We'll try to do better in the Preakness. Uh, Hi, Ho Pimlico, Dick. What's going on? Yeah,
3: Mike, it's uh, it's been a wild week, which I know we'll get to in a little bit. But yeah, Preakness is, as you know, my favorite. Because it's my hometown, and uh, I will be making my return to Pimlico nice. for the first time since 2019. I did not make last year's running because uh, nobody was allowed in the
2: joint. Well, to, to that end, then, I'll, I'll let me speak on this before we get to the Preakness itself. As someone who's been to a million of these things, can, can you explain to me what's happened to the, the quality of, of Preakness Day? I don't know if it's a racing secretary thing or just the way it falls in the calendar, but it just feels like for a Saturday Triple Crown card, it came up. A little bit light. Did you get that feeling looking through the card on Saturday? And what would you give as a reason as to why they're having a hard time on a Triple Crown Day filling up some of these stakes races?
3: Right, so I think there's a couple things going on. You know, one is the obvious, uh, the two weeks is is a problem. A lot of these horses ran at Churchill Downs, uh, which would be eligible for a lot of these races, including, of course, the Preakness. I mean, the idea that we don't have the second, third, and fourth finishers from the Derby is just silly, right? This is one of the great American races, which is why you and I, I think, have been advocating for quite a while, move this back to the the Memorial Day weekend and then move to Belmont to July 4th. Not that it's going to happen, but that would be better for the game. The better fields. So that's one for the Preakness. The, the other races, um, I think a couple of things are happening. One, the no Lasix and graded stakes this year, um, that's a, a little bit of an issue. I, there hasn't been a definitive study yet, but I think it's holding the fields down a touch because there's some horses that just absolutely need it uh, and they're not able to run in these races. I think that may be part of it. And I think, and it's hard to quantify it, Mike, but I think a little bit of it is pandemic related. I just think it's been a bizarre year people haven't been able to get their horses ready. Hmm. They go to specific spots. And then if everything doesn't go perfect, then the horse has got problems. You can't get there. So I think it's a combination of everything. But you're right. It, it is not uh, what we would have hoped for. But I don't think it's necessarily anybody's fault. I just think it's a it's a confluence of offense.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure they're going to move the Triple Crown back. Uh, you and I have talked about it. It makes sense. I heard Andy Byer talk about it this week. And, and look, we're I barking up the wrong tree, but it would be better for racing, better for the horses, better for everybody. But yeah. for now, this is what we deal with, the traditional triple crown run. And for now, uh, at least for now, Medina Spirit's got a chance to win the second leg and get two of the first two here on the triple crown. He was 12-1 to on Derby Day. Uh, he is going to be 9-5-ish to uh, in the Preakness. Uh, what do you think of the favorite and his chances here uh, trying to navigate the mile on 316th on Saturday?
3: Look, I I can't say anything bad about the horse, right? He's never run a bad race. Six starts, three wins, three seconds. And two of the seconds were to his much more talented stablemate, Life is Good, who's off the trail because he had that ankle surgery. So it's not like he's ever run a bad race. But having said that, everything went perfectly for him in Kentucky, right? He gets loose on the lead. The other speed horses, several of them, uh, don't miss the break, are never in the race. I don't think anybody thought that Medina Spirit was going to get that kind of a lead. And those fractions on that track really aren't very fast because the track was lightning fast. So he was capable of that kind of an effort. He had showed it in the sham when he ran ran it. Life is good at the finish. So he improved his best buyer figure by three points, which horses are supposed to do when they get loose on the lead. So uh, not surprised. It will be interesting to see how this race gets bet. Well, a certain amount of the public go, well, wait a second, he must have had help in the Derby. That's why he won it 12-1. to mm-hmm. I would look at it completely differently. Like, everything went perfectly for him in the Derby. Uh, I-, I don't think it's going to go so easily in the Preakness. That's why I might be against him, but different people had a different reasons to do what they wanted
2: to do. Uh, it's a price thing. I mean, 12-1 to 1, two weeks yes. ago, and now he's wheeling back, and Bob Baffert has awesome success. Like, he wins the Derby, he comes back, and these horses win yep. in the Preakness. So I'm not knocking him, but it's yep. it's it's the fraction of the price and it's tough to uh, to trip out two times and roll like that maybe he will but it's not going to be with a lot of my money uh how about the other bob bafferty or concert tour who won the rebel wired a wire got caught up in a speed duel with Cato river and then i thought what would really turn me off from from that race and, and maybe he has gotten better since then but he couldn't hold second i mean Cato river came back on him got second in that race last time out of the arkansas derby I know he's going to be fresh in this race. What do you think of the number 10 concert tour, the other Bob Baffert training in the Preakness?
3: Yeah, I don't like him. I'm trying to beat him. Um, I, I didn't like the race in Arkansas at all because it showed that without the lead, he's just another horse. Yeah. And even when he had the lead in the Rebel, everything went perfectly. He only got a 94. It's not like he had a 104 buyer that he just jumps off the page. So I think it's a good horse. Um, I don't think he was working so well down in Kentucky. Uh, I don't think that was the only reason he didn't run in the Derby. I just think they didn't like the race in Arkansas. But, yeah, if you can't outfinish Caddo River with Joe Alversario, the greatest finisher in the game, something is wrong. And, of course, the whole thing, what's going to happen here in the first 200 yards, right? you got two Bafferts, same style, uh, aggressive riders. Uh, Johnny V obviously wants the lead. Mike Smith on concert tour. You know, what's Baffert? Well, Baber, I gotta tell him anything except on the phone because he's not gonna be there. But how how are they gonna figure this out? Because you're talking same stable identical running styles. Uh, so what are we going to do here? I think that's a, a huge part of this, but I am going to try to beat concert tour, get him right off my ticket.
2: Well, it sounds like you're against the Baffert. So let's hear Dick Girardi, your thoughts on, on who you want to, to bet on top, who you like on top in Preakness 146.
3: Yeah, I think the price is going to be everything. Um, if Medina spirit is bet below two to one and concert tour is clear, second choice, which I think is the most likely scenario you're going to get a better price than you should on Midnight Bourbon. Uh, I thought he ran a tremendous race in the Derby. It wasn't necessarily a horse I liked going into the Derby, but, man, whatever could go wrong did go wrong, the exact opposite of what happened with Medina Spirit. Totally missed the break, out of his comfort zone, way back and way wide and kept running And nothing against Mike Smith, who's had a phenomenal career, but he's 55. And this is one of the bigger jock changes you'll see in the game. Gets Irat Ortiz. You know the horse is going to be in the race the whole time. Astowitz is going to tell Irat, I don't care where where you finish, just get in the race. Uh, So he'll be one, two, three coming out of the first turn. And then the question is, is he good enough? Is his best race good enough? And it might be, but it's not it's not definitive. Like I would like to see a hundred fire in there somewhere. I haven't seen it yet.
2: Are you willing to elevate that Louisiana Derby dick? You and I both like that race, you know, yep. coming into yep. the Derby. And then from there, yep. Hot Rod Shirley runs third. Midnight yep. Bourbon had a bad trip and still ran yep. sixth there, ran on. Obesos oh, was part yep. of it, and Mandaloon is second yep. for now, but may end up being the Derby winner. Doesn't that doesn't that improve yes. the, the that it's kind of sort of a key race on the Derby prep front?
3: Yeah, there's no question. That makes it look like it was the best of the prep races. Yeah. And, look, Midnight Bourbon spent his whole winter and spring in Louisiana, and, and every race was good, right? I mean, he was solid. One to the comp, third in a risen Star to mandaloon, 2nd Hot out-rod Charlie, and, and ran hard every time. Uh, I can't come up with a reason why this horse isn't going to run great on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, the question is, if Medina Spirit runs back to his last race, is that going to be good enough? I just, if if I, it's again, it's the old, can can I see the first 200 yards? (laughs) Right, It it would make the race so much easier. Uh, But I just think on paper, what are we getting? Maybe five or six to one on midnight bourbon. Um, I think that's the place to be. Uh, I I would, and, and the rest of the field, I mean, the other seven horses, they're just, they don't really, none of them inspire a lot of confidence to me. You might have an opinion. I don't have, but, I haven't seen anybody do anything that suggests one of them is going to
2: win. It. Well, I can make a case for Chad Brown, and I will you know, coming up here in a little bit. Okay. Uh, for, yep. for Midnight Bourbon, if that would be your pick, uh, Dick Girardi yep. joining us here, like uh, courtesy of BetOnline.ag, if he would be your pick on top, who would be the price source you want to use? If you were sort of against Medina Spirit and you're against a concert tour, who would you want to use in exactas and tries and supers with Midnight Bourbon to make sure he's included on your tickets? Right. So let me make this a little clear. I'm sure. absolutely against concert tour. Gotcha. I'm gonna okay. have to try to beat him. Yep. I, if Medina Spirit
3: runs one, two, I'm not gonna be surprised. Right. Gotcha. There's no yep. reason to think he's not gonna run. I mean, there there's gonna be a group of people who go, okay, this um anti-inflammatory was the reason he won the Derby. I, I don't think that's the case. And eh, we can debate that, but it doesn't we'll find out. So I'm gonna certainly use a three five and a five three. Uh but yeah, if there was if there was a five bomb in and we get medina spirit out which i don't think is going to be easy yep. my total whacked out bomb is the one ram uh terrible first like seven races just no good at all then better maiden 50 better a other than and isn't this the wayne lucas play the horse has <laughs> no shot at all will ride the rail and maybe as horses are tiring could run up and get there and the other one would be keep me in mind i, I thought he ran well in the derby I just it, it, you know he had to pass the whole field this time he's going to have to pass nine instead of 18 uh and i he was wide i i thought he gave a pretty good count of himself and i think he's the kind of horse that could run third and fourth at, at
2: 20 to one and by the way just to point out on ram which i don't have a lot of feel for him but R- ricardo santana has had some nice races here, uh, Pimlico Special with Tenfold. I think it was uh, was it 2019? Uh, like he is, he has maneuvered some trips here for Steve Aspin in the past. He knows how to ride Pimlico. He's going to get a rail saving run, one run. It's an interesting point. I, I'm glad you brought up the two. Keep me in mind. I liked as my as my price horse in the Derby. He just yep. it, it was he got his his run going too late. He was fine once he got going. Absolutely. And, and I just he did, I I hope he's gotta be he's gotta get more of a clean trip. There's there's ten horses here instead of uh what was nineteen in the Derby. So if he gets a clean yep. trip, I'm with you. He's been my price force underneath. So three five, five three, a little one two uh for Dick Girardi in the Preakness one forty six. So the, I think the card really gets going to me. With this late pick five, I think you can really sink your teeth in. Uh, beginning in race number nine, it's uh, the run-happy uh, sky path. They'll go six furlongs on the main uh, track there at Pimlico. Should be fast, should be firm, and there's a good group of sprinters. They look similar to me, but it's a good group of sprinters in race nine.
3: Yeah, this is a really fascinating race to me. Now, I know Wagon really well. Uh, PA bred, trains at parks, uh, 15 minutes from my house. Uh, trained by Lupe Parciato, uh, five for five, and that isn't just winning. I mean, it's winning by a huge margins, thirty-two legs combined, uh, and goes to the front. Nobody can go with him, with her. But, but right outside of her is the six. Uh, don't let Sweet fool you. If I'm pronouncing that yep, right. Yep, you got it. Um, it, it won five in a row by twenty-nine legs The same way, then got the speed duel, couldn't make the lead. You couldn't make a clear lead to Barbara Fritchie and backed out. So the question is, if is Chubwagon faster than the six, uh, and if not, what will happen if they get into a speed duel? In that case, then obviously you're going to like the eight, uh, the ten strike racing claim for twenty thousand imp- as improved race to race to race for Brad Cox is winning by big numbers, and will certainly. I would think it's interesting. Chubwagon is eight to five, and and uh, French Empire is three to one. I'm not sure that's not going to come the other way. Just because of Brad Cox, I, I could be wrong about that. Obviously, Chub Wagon's lines look pretty strong, but uh, I think that, I think that's the race. Um, and I, again, I've seen Chub Wagon live. I just saw her last race on the twenty seventh of April. It was a powerhouse, but she beat nothing. I mean, there was nothing in that race. She was, she was one to five for a re- or one to two for a reason. Um, but it's very interesting race. I'll pick the five, Mike. But it, it's a hard race.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned that the speed. I also think with the five and six needing the front, uh, yep. not not that the horse can win, but never enough time. The four, like the, the only mm-hmm. the horse's only chance to win is to be part of the pace. And I, I'm I'm setting it up for uh, to fall apart. And you mentioned French Empire, who was scratched out of a race a couple of weeks ago at a point here, and then the horse yep. I'm going to use on top is the two casual, who's going to be a dead closer for Steve Asmussen. Has gotten run yep. into a couple of slow paces, time form as the last couple races slow. Needs ever, yep. all the pace. They, they thought enough of this horse to run in the Acorn a year ago. was four sure. to one Was four to one against Gamine last June. Yep. It's going to be four to one in this field. I'm going to take a shot with Casual to go over the top with your eight horse uh, French Empire. You mentioned the five potentially uh, as a speed force. I'm curious, Dick. Before we get to race number ten, the yep. track profile at Pimlico. Like I, I really play Pimlico once or twice a year, Friday and Saturday, mm-hmm. Preakness yep. weekend. What should be looking for in terms of any sort of bias? Is it a speed favoring track on days like this? what's What's the track profile for you?
3: Yeah, I think you're just going to have to pay attention and watch early card uh, because it does it's no specific thing. Look, I grew up going there, uh, and in the '70s when I first started playing, and into the '80s, especially in the '80s, uh, the, the rail was gold. I mean, it was incredible. Some it it went on for were, meat, you, were you there? Meat, were
2: you there with meat. Were you there with Andy Buyer during fifty thousand dollar year at the races, picking all those uh, rail winners? Yeah, I I think Andy was uh, preceded me by a little
3: bit, but yes, I knew about it. And I had some. I wish I knew how to bet like I do now. <laughs> uh, and I wish they had the kind of bets they have now, Mike. Back then. And keep in mind, speed figures weren't published, and I had a set of speed figures. It was great. I, I remember. A day, I remember a day the opening double. Um, I, I cold punched a one-ticket double for two two faint-hearted sprinters going getting loose in the lead at a mile and sixteenth. They both wanted to pay five hundred. Oh. and I. I had it for 20 and that started off a day that I I think I was down to my last like thousand
2: bucks. I didn't even have a job that started off a day and I've been going North ever since. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great story. So we'll keep an eye on the track Friday and Saturday at Pimlico. Uh, We're not going to worry about the main track for race number 10. It's the uh, Jim McKay turf sprint, a big, a a fixture uh, on these Preakness weekends. If horse racing is roulette, On horseback, then turf sprint, turf sprinting, Dick. I mean, I you you tell me. I I, these are the races that always knock me out of these uh, these wagers, these pick threes, pick fours, and pick fives. What do you want to do in the uh, five furlong turf sprint to Jim McKay?
3: Yeah, where's Ben's cat when you need him? I know, right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he would win this race every year. You wouldn't have to think of it. you go, oh, Ben's cat's in the race. i so, uh, you know, use them at the back end of a double, a big three, and you just didn't have to look at the race. But, yeah, look, I think the, the most likely winner, and and, and and I put that in quotation marks because, as you said, these things are often crapshoots, is the four, the critical way. Uh, I mean, just has been really good since the claim back in mid-January of last year. It was always solid. I saw the horse at parks when the Marshall Jenny. That was the PA day at the races. Last year was one of the few days they actually had stage races. And he just stayed in that form ever since. And I love these older turf sprinters. They just seem that the 5-8s is perfect for him. So I can't come up with a reason why he won't run well. The trainers wins a lot of races. Obviously, Louis Sias is great. Uh, the price is probably a little less than you're hoping for. But, boy, 16 turf starts, 5-4-2. Uh, and two, And at the distance, 11 starts, 4 wins, 3 seconds, 2 3
2: he makes a lot of sense. I'll be using for sure. I Also, people, that, that, that do not just turn the page on the number 5 horse, Hollis, uh, for John Ortiz and Irad Ortiz. I'm sure Irad, he's been drawing so much money in New York. I'm sure he'll take money at Pimlico. But this horse won this version of the race in October because they ran the Preakness mm-hmm. in October. Yep. He won the race yep. over Yielding Turf Course that day. He's been on dirt yep. and turf, but it's a turf sprinter. He's 2-for-6 lifetime, 1-for-1 one one at mm-hmm. Pimlico. He gets Ortiz, I think he can sit off. Uh, that speed. Look at the horse he's run against. No, A bound for nowhere, strike power. Yep. Uh, yep. He, it was. He, uh, he's been with some very good horses over his career. CZ Rocket back in the day. So uh, I'm going to try right. to get some five involved with your four, who makes a lot of sense. Some of the other like uh, contenders in this race. A very tough yes. race, the turf sprint, the middle leg here, uh, getting in some pick five. So uh, we've danced around it here, Dick. You're one of the not just a great handicapper, um, you're one of the great voices on racing of, of my lifetime. We are columns in the Daily Racing Forum in Philadelphia uh, as well. Uh, can I get your take on what has gone on this week and, and the aftermath of Medina spirit and this, the current state of racing based on what happened in Kentucky?
3: Well, it's been bizarre. Obviously it's been a bizarre week, not helpful to the state of racing when the most famous person in racing is uh, is involved with the words uh, Derby winner test positive, right? It's just not it's not a good look. Um, I think Mike, if this had happened in a vacuum, right, if uh, Babbard hadn't had those uh, previous issues in the last year or so, um, I think this would be looked at differently. Because he has, people are starting to say, well, you know, what the heck is going on here? Uh, And there's no subtlety. We don't do nuance anymore. This is not Bethazone. This is not a performance enhancer. But most people aren't going to know that. They're just going to say illegal drug. Uh, The best way I can explain this is in horse racing, uh, there are are listed by Association of Racing Commission Internationals, one being the most likely to uh, enhance a performance, class five being the least likely. This drug is a class four C. C is the penalty uh, which is imposed with a positive, but unfortunately that all gets lost. And then we have the bizarro explanation right after. We're trying mm-hmm. to figure out where this came from. We have the Automax, uh, the ointment that supposedly well has this this clearly this in it, and you know like is anybody reading the label here? I mean, what <laughs> what is going on? I still would like to hear it from a vet to explain. All right, if this is what it was, what are the chances of this horse testing positive right. with this as a as a other ointment? I haven't gotten that yet, uh, and look. Ultimately, what's going to happen? They'll get a split sample, but basically a second opinion of of the same test. It, it'll come back positive almost certainly. Yep. Then they'll hold a hearing in Kentucky, and everybody will get to have their say. And Baffert's attorneys will try to mitigate it by saying, "Hey, they didn't know. They didn't know this." I think ultimately the horse is going to get disqualified because <laughs> the rule is pretty clear cut. Uh, you can't race with this uh, stuff in your system on race day. And the reason, Mike, here's where it gets confusing. The reason this stuff is banned on race day, it, it's, again, it, it's it's an anti-inflammatory, but they don't want this in a horse's system right at race day because when a pre-race exam is done by a vet, just looking at the horse, the horse might look better than he's really feeling. And they do not want a horse out there looking better than he actually is feeling. They don't. It's basically to protect the horse. Yeah. This isn't something they think that, that is cheating the public who's betting on it. But it's more like it, it's it, it, every vet I've heard this week. You do not want this stuff in a horse's system because he may walk smoother, may look jog better, and you do not want that as an examining veterinarian.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, look, the, the, the 48 hours post, you know, the, the the announcement Sunday morning for Bob, which just it, it didn't, it doesn't sit well to say we have no idea what happened. Uh, right. It's can, it's cancel culture, and then oh by the way, here's right. this ointment that he took and a, like. Yep. What veterinarian would, would prescribe that up to the day before race day? That, that's where it's hard for me to believe. And so, Dick, you've spent thousands of dollars and hours and hours and hours of your lifetime betting on these animals. You want to feel like it's on the up and up. And I think what this gives a casual bettor who maybe bet, made his first bet. Maybe Mandeloon was his first bet ever sure. in the Derby. It's sure. less confidence. And given the other options out there right now the sport can't afford to to act like they don't care what happens to their betters. I, mean, no, I,
3: I couldn't agree more. And I think that's ultimately why the horse is going to get disqualified. I think it's unfortunate. I do. I think that, that Bob Everett and his barn are some like the uh, master manipulators trying to manipulate results. I, I really don't. I, I can be wrong about that. You know, look, the name Lance Armstrong has come up. I don't see it um, because of what these medications are. This isn't stuff like Armstrong was using. I mean, these guys were stone cold cheating and everybody knows it now. I I just think this is different. I think the most likely explanation, and it's sad to hear this, but they just screwed up, Mike. They just made a mistake. (laughs) I I know it sounds crazy. That's generally the explanation. And again, I can be proved wrong on this. Um, I don't know how you make this mistake, but sometimes people just they don't they don't look at all the details. Uh it sounds insane to us in retrospect that the fact that it's on the label. But is it possible and again I'd love to be able to ask the Baffert's vet, is it possible the vet said, Well, yes, this is in it, but it's such a tiny part of it it's not gonna show up in a post race test. Is that what they thought? I don't know the answer to that question, but I'd love to ask it.
2: Yeah, there's a lot still to to pick through here. We have not heard from Bob since the press release on Tuesday saying the horse did have orthomax And, you know, we're assuming the horse runs on, on Saturday. As of right now, he will. We handicap the race that way. It's Thursday afternoon. So, you know, please be advised to, to keep an eye on all this stuff. And eventually, I, I think this is one of these things that will... I don't know if is it is it Heise Dick, this horse racing organization that's supposed to take over at the end of the year and start to make different rule. I, I don't know if that's going to work, but I do know something you said for twenty years is more true now than it's ever been. The yep. the sport needs a commissioner, it needs a full yes. regulatory oversight group. There's no doubt, in my mind. yeah,
3: yeah. At the very least, there will be a, an oversight group on uh, on on testing, uh, and that should, if everything goes right be up online about this time next year. Um, But until we see how it's going to be implemented, we don't know for sure. But it's got to be better than the system we have now, which changes from state to state. Uh, it needs the penalties need to be uniform if it's if it's proven to be a positive test there can't be this long insanely drawn out process I'm all for due process I want everybody to get their shot to say hey look somebody screwed it up here's what really happened that's fine but it doesn't need to take months and months let's find a way to get through this but yeah and as far as a commissioner that would be great that's unfortunately not on the plan that's not part of the plan right now but this is at least the first step uh, with this act that was passed and signed into law uh, last December
2: uh, well, you will be there front and center. Uh, that means it's a real pretness. This one counts, unlike last year, because Dick Girardi will be there. Uh, <laughs> our good friend. Dick, we'll talk to you prior to the Belmont. Uh, kick some butt this weekend, and we'll talk then. Look forward to it, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Oh, there it is. A uh, good hour plus of not just uh, State of the Industry stuff and opinions from myself and Matt Bernier, Jessica Paquette, Dick Girardi, but some handicapping as well. Uh, for, again, late in the day, it gets to be a better card. Early on, you can you know, go barbecue. I'll be making crab cakes and ribs and other stuff. I'll, wake me up at race nine for the late pick five. That's where I'll be invested in this race. As for the Preakness, race 13 Saturday on NBC. It's tough to have a lot to say about the race. Bob Baffert has the two fastest horses early on. Like, Are they going to send both? Is concert tour going? Is Medina Spirit going? You know, is there, is there extra stress on the Baffert barn to try to make sure things are on the up and up? You know, I don't know what that means for the race, so I can only look at it from a handicapping perspective, and both horses are fast enough and quick enough early where they can win. One's going to have to be patient. One's got to be aggressive. To me, overall, it really does feel like a jockey's race on Saturday where, depending on what happens early on, the other jocks behind there, whether it's Javier Castellano on crowded trade, whether it is uh, Ired Ortiz on Midnight Bourbon, uh, whether it's Ricardo Santana on Ram, like they've got to make a decision from there. And the way I see the race uh, unfolding is the, the two Bafferts up front and a second group of Midnight Bourbon and Crowded Trade. And I debated those two back and forth as my on-top pick for about an hour on, on Tuesday and a Wednesday. And eventually, I went with an old axiom I've heard years and years ago, let the price be your guide. And if Crowded Trade is going to be 8, 9, 10 to 1, and Midnight bourbon's going to be 4 or 5 to 1, I'll go with Crowded Trade, the number 4 for Chad Brown. Uh, Cloud Computing won this race in 2017. This horse has a very similar track to that horse. Is going to be able to sit right off the pace. Gets, in my opinion, a jockey upgrade from Eric Cancel uh, to Javier Castellano. They pointed the horse here. The owner wants to win here. The trainer wants to win here. And has the running style to sit off the two Bafferts. And is bred to go uh, the full mile in 360. That should not be an issue uh, with the dam side having plenty of stamina. And I like what Matt Bernier said. And caught this the first time. I went back and looked at the time form numbers in the replay. He made his best running in the wood memorial into the hottest part of the race. They're labeled red on the time form pace ratings. And so at 10 to 1, I'm to take a shot on a trainer and an owner and a jockey and a horse that look like they could win this race, and 10 to 1 feels like a fair price. I'm going to take crowded trade on top. I'm going to take midnight bourbon second. He's got every shot to win this thing. I'm not going to be shocked if he ends up upsetting the Apple cart. Uh, and winning, he has uh, got a good trainer in Steve Asmussen, who's got great numbers. willing really back on two weeks, comes out of a key race, two back in that Louisiana Derby. Uh, so I got it four five on top. I'll use Medina Spirit third. He's got the ability. Uh, he's got the fight. I think he'll be there in the mix. I'm not sure he's going to be able to get the entire uh, trip he got last time. I'm not betting a perfect trip horse coming off at twelve to one last time, nine to five now. But he's got to be respected, even with all the other crap that went on this week. I got him third. And then my price horse that I'm going to use in the bottom of tickets is the number two, keep me in mind. We tried him in the Derby, didn't get the best trip. Uh, I think they'll make one run late. And I think based on his move forward uh, to a 90 buyer, almost getting back to what he ran last year in 92 in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, I think he's setting on uh, a peak effort. He's going to be 15, 20, 25 to 1. Uh, And so for me, I want to be alive to – uh, you know the, the horses I think can win this race: Medina Spirit, Concert Tour, uh, Crowded Trade, and the number five Midnight Bourbon in all the multi-race wagers. And then in the race, uh, I'm going to pick Crowded uh, create on top, the number four horse. Uh, four and five both make sense. The four is a better price. I'm going to pick him on top. I'm also going to key him uh, in the try in all three spots, and I'm going to key him with the two in the super with the other logicals. Like so, so if it comes home logical with Crowded Trade and keep me in mind in the super. I want to be able to cash on that, so it's number four crowded trade on top for me. Uh, full list: be four, five, three, two in that order. Four, five, three, two. Let's see if Chad Brown can get it done here. High uh, hole Pimlico Preakness this weekend uh, should be a fun race. Uh, obviously the ratings are going to be huge. People are going to tune in to see if the if the horse that they you know, assume was you know, juiced up or whatever on uh, you know, Derby Day. That's what the headlines would suggest. They're going to watch this race. Uh, we'll see about the betting. I've seen a lot of people suggest they're going to basically take a stand against the industry and not bet this weekend. I admit I'm not doing that. If you're doing that, you're a better man than me because I'll be uh, invested here in this late pick five for sure at Pimlico and definitely in that Black-Eyed Susan to Preakness daily double that's being offered Friday into Saturday with Matt Bernier's idea of pitching the favorite in that Black-Eyed Susan and getting alive to a bunch here uh, in the Preakness. I'll have a bunch of other thoughts. I'll put out a, a picks grid out on Twitter. Uh, At some point, Friday or Saturday, MuttWEI on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram as well. I want to thank Ben Charleston, our producer on Mutt at Night, Red Sox Baseball, helping us out with this podcast. He's a huge, huge help. I want to thank our guests. I want to thank you guys for listening to this weird week for racing. We turn the page. We handicap. We bet. Remember to bet with your head not over it. Good luck this weekend. The crab cakes, the black-eyed Susans, a little too sweet for me, but I understand. It's Preakness one forty six. You're glad you're with us on the Winners Club here on the Weei Podcast Network.